Hello and welcome to the first ever Just Checking In podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Vent. For all of you first-time listeners, this podcast is another step in Vent's mission to give people a voice, change the conversation around mental health and provide an outlet for people to express themselves. Each podcast, I'll be checking in with a special guest. We'll have a natter about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they're passionate about, from sport and music, right through to films, fashion, books, or any other hobby they enjoy. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. There's bound to be a few mistakes along the way, but please stick with us and we'll make sure this is a fun, educational, and hopefully enjoyable listen. So get comfy, put the kettle on, and hopefully the next few hours will fly by. For the first Just Checking In pod, I'm joined by my good friend and Vent champion Tim Fletcher. Tim works as an engineer for Network Rail and has written several poems for Vent, including a piece about his late grandmother called Mathea and The Slow Man, which explores the more low-level depressive states that people may go through. Do check them out on the site if you haven't already, they're absolutely brilliant. So here we are, Tim. Welcome to the Just Checking In pod. How you doing, mate? Are you well? Yeah, I'm really good, mate. Um, I'm excited and I have been for a while about recording this and being part of the whole uh, podcast uh, experience that you're doing on Vent, especially the first one. It's yeah. exciting, isn't it? It is exciting. I'm pretty yeah. excited. It is. Um, so for the listeners who don't know how we know each other, do you want to set the scene for them, pal? Um, I think we, we actually first met at your birthday. Yeah, what year Ooh, was that? that what, was, was it my 22nd? Um, 23rd? What year did, I think it must have been 2017. Yeah, I think was, it was. was. Yeah, I think oh, it was 2017, Jesus wasn't Christ, it? It feels longer than that, mate. <laughs> So when, when's your birthday? July, is it? April. April. Well, April. Close enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, April, I think it came with um, with Tom. Yeah, I met you here. So our good friend Tom, yeah. who are, we are mutual friends with. Yes. yes yeah, yeah. So we're, we're mutual friends with our, our pal Tom. And you came to my birthday, I think. And I think ever since then, we've yeah. gone for a boogie at certain times. Yeah. We've hung out. And I think we've just definitely. been friends from there, haven't we? Yes, yeah, so we're str- um, strength to strength. So on the running order, just for the listeners out there, for the on this podcast, we've got music. Yep. Mental health, mm-hmm. writing, and toxic masculinity. Mm. So nice and lighthearted. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I want to keep keep it light. Keep yeah. it light, and then maybe we can go a bit deeper afterwards. Um, so we can start with music. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the first topic that you wanted me to discuss with you ahead of the pod. Yeah. And I think for the listeners, both of us are massive music mm-hmm. fans. Massive music fans. Um, we've shared many a night out, many a drunken night out, <laughs> and many a boogie since we became friends. Um, but in this section, I really wanted to talk about like the relationship with music and mental health in a bit more detail. Mm-hmm. So the first question is, so when, when did your love affair with music start? I, I don't think there was probably a very specific defining moment when that happened. It, it's, it was all of a, more of a process. Mm. Was it, did it so it emerged organically then? Yeah, it just yeah. did. You know, as I just got a bit older and sort of stopped, started moving away from listening to whatever was on Whoever's on the radio you know, mm. in the car, which mm. obviously wasn't driving. Whoever was on the radio, you sort of start moving away from that and start sort of forging your own interests. I'd, I sort of started becoming more aware of my own musical tastes maybe when I was about like 11 or 12, mm-hmm. I guess. And mm-hmm. sort of what was the moving. first album you bought? The first album yeah. I bought, I actually thought about this about two weeks ago. Do you want to know mine? <laughs> yeah, go on. The Hot Fuss by, Killer, by The Killers. Really? Yeah. What year was that? That was, it, I was 11. Oh, yeah. And I, so it would have been, so I was born in 94. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it would have been, oh, my math, my math served me correct. So it was about, oh, so 2005. Uh, so 2006, yeah, 2005, yeah. I reckon. Yeah, 2005. Yeah. It was when I was in year six. So okay, yeah. yeah, so I was about 10 slash 11. And then the second album I bought was Employment by the Kaiser Chiefs. Oh, yeah. And then the third album I bought was, you're like, I think you'll like this one the most, Stars of CCTV by Hardfire. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. yeah. Nice little trio there. The first album I ever bought was the documentary by The Game. Wow. Yeah. When I was 12. That smashed mine out the water. Yeah, I was 12. Completely. I think, it was, I think it came out in early 2000 and 2006. Oh, was that no, the one that had no, How We Do on it? it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think anthem. I was 12 when it came out. Absolute anthem. 2005, maybe. That's the first album I definitely bought um, with my own money, I guess, or money that mm. I managed to save up from you know, pocket money, etc. Because, you know, me being me can 
obviously associate very much with the hardships of a man from Compton. Um, you know, definitely didn't buy because all my friends are buying it. I bought it because I wanted to buy it and because I'm a man of uh, my own tastes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bollocks. Um, so let, let's let's talk about your wider music taste then. Yeah. So genres you listen genres you listen to at the moment. You know, what's your who's your favourite band that you listen to at the moment? From you know. Oh wow. It's a big question, isn't it? To be That's honest, I've got about seven yeah, on my list. It's very hard to to define what my favorite band is at any given moment. Mm. Oh, it's more of a process, isn't it? I go through a stage where, like, I'm listening to a band and I'm like, "Yeah, this is my new favorite band right mm. now," and then like I'll go to see them, I'll go to see them live twice or three times, then I'll find another new band. It's yeah. just like a constant process of evolving new music. I listen to a lot of, I I listen to like, a lot of music anyway, so I end up listening to a lot of music I don't actually like. Mm. Like I find out like new albums that have come out I give them a listen um, and I end up listening to a lot of music that I actually don't enjoy um, so like just because I, I, like I like the process of discovering music and I often find that I end up falling back on old favourites mm. you know what I mean like sort of safe safe bets mm. do you feel like do you feel do you find that when you go back and listen to old this is speaking from my experience when you go back to listen to old albums it evokes like nostalgic memories of, of that period so yeah. like I remember when I was listening to the first genre I ever listened to was the indie British indie rock and roll scene because I was listening to loads of XFM on the radio and stuff like that and it was, was wasn't really a time when I was evolving my music yeah. so far out so I was listening to like the Kooks and yeah. the Killers and Claxons and all these other bands so when I go back to listen to them now I get those memories of you know being 13 14 and going to see the Pigeon Detectives or oh, whatever wow, wow. yeah just all these other things um what was the gig what was the first gig you went to the first gig I went to I think it was I think it was the OT Wireless Festival in Hyde Park in, like, in wow. 2006. That was when it was at Hyde Park. Jesus. Yeah, where is it now? It's at, I think it's at Gunnersbury now. Was it, it, was at, it was at the Olympic Stadium. That It was at the, the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. I'm yeah. not sure where it is now. I think it's at Gunnersbury. Um, wow, I think the first gig I went to was 2008 or nine, and it was Brixton Academy. Oh yeah. My sister took me, my older sister took me, she yeah. bought it for my birthday. It was the Pigeon Detectives. Very nice. Headlining, supported <laughs> by Cage the Elephant. Really? Yeah. God, that is indie, isn't it? That is indie, isn't it? That's as indie as it gets. <laughs> that is, a, that is as indie as it gets. When you, when, you, when you went to that first gig, what, what was the impact it had on you? Was it sort of like an eye-opening experience? Did it have any impact um, on, on your mental health? Did you think, right, this is, this is definitely like a hobby I'm going to go do and experience the rest of my life and I want to try this more and more. What was what was the sort of memories that you yeah, had? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a particularly confident child, so I was, I was pretty fucking scared, actually. Mm, like, mm. It was, I, I just went with my friends, like my friends from school at the time. Um, and I mean, it was probably a slightly different experience because it was sort of like a, a, a day festival, so there was a lot going on. Mm. Um, it was exciting, obviously. It was, it was mm -hmm, ridiculously mm -hmm. exciting and, you know, sort of at the beginning of my... You know, sort of musical discovery of myself mm -hmm. and sort of discovering music that I like. Uh, it was fantastic. Mm. Obviously, it, it was it was brilliant, and it it started a love affair with with music and going to gigs that you know still persists. Mm. Do you feel like back then you enjoyed music differently to how you do it now, or do you think it's always been the same as how you would consume it and how you sort of no, listen is, to it and it dance is, to it, it and stuff? It is different, you know. Yeah. I think at that age, you're, you're very concerned with the opinions of other people so you mm -hmm. want you want to listen to the right music mm. you know you want to dance the right way if at all mm. at 14 mm. you know what's what's cool what's popular what's what's comfortable mm. um so no that's completely changed in the sense that i you know now i don't you know i don't concern myself with what mm. the musical taste of the day are you just you listen to what you enjoy i think the good thing is is that the younger generation i feel like they're not stigmatized by what music genres they listen to. So I feel like when we were growing up, like, so for example, pop punk was a genre where all the outsiders and the so-called inverted commas losers listened to yeah, it yeah. and no one, no one listened to it really in school. Like the popular genres in, in my school, especially were like grime, yeah. UK funky, garage, early dubstep, that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And if you listen to sort of genres that fell outside that bracket, you were sort of looked down upon or you're, yeah. you were like picked on or whatever. But I think the really good thing is now is that the kids especially from 11 to 16 or whatever they're listening to any genre they like mm. and it's just whatever's good and I that's the thing I, yeah I've, I don't have much exposure to obviously to to what you know school age kids are up to now or, or what their musical tastes are or, or what the sort of culture around mm. music is obviously you know I probably listen to a lot of the same music they do but mm. um, I, I do hope that's the case yeah I think it's reflected in the crowds of gigs as well like I yeah. go I've gone to see a few gigs 
um, for like Afro swing artists, so like Kojo Funds or, or Notes or um, or Hardy Caprio, etc. And the crowd has been a real mix. It's not been like one specific subset of people that you'd ex- or demographic that you'd expect <clears throat> to see in a school or in a workplace or whatever. It's just yeah. a, a really big range of people. So that's, that's, I think that's really positive, to be honest. I think that can only have a positive effect on their mental definitely. health. Yeah. We can, I think the next hobby to talk about for me is is clubbing mm. and dance music. Because yeah. me and you, I think we've had a long history of liking dance music. Yeah. Um, well, I think you have. Mine is a relatively recent. Effect. Long in relative terms. I mean, I was yeah. I started listening when to dance music when I was seventeen, and yeah. I'm twenty four now, so it's only seven years. But yeah. it feels like a long time to listen to a certain okay. genre. Yeah. yeah when you when when did you first sort of start listening to dance music as not just oh. I've heard Stardust music sounds better with you on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I went to Berlin in 2016, Mm -hmm. in in September 2016, at which point I had no interest in dance music. Right. I went to Berlin for a few days with some friends, ostensibly to go and see Radiohead, Mm -hmm. who were playing in the Treptow. Good choice. Great. Yeah, I love Radiohead. Um, In Treptow Park in Berlin as part of the Lollapalooza Festival. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a two day festival. Obviously, no no camping. It's two separate days. Um, my friends had a ticket for the Sunday or the second day. Whatever the second day was, was when Radio had a playing. I had to get a weekend ticket because the only ones left. So I actually went to the festival by myself on the first day and ended up seeing Kings Leon. Well, I don't have particular interest in, but it was it was a good laugh. Um, so we, anyway, the the point is, we went to Berlin, and my friends had been before and were into dance music, mm-hmm. which I wasn't. And, you know, Berlin has this very well-earned reputation of being mm-hmm. this mecca. Established, really. Established, no, well, yeah. World-renowned. Mecca for techno. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know anything about the clubs in Berlin, about, you know, who they let in, who they don't let in. So I had no appropriate clothing to get in. I just, you know, I looked <laughs> Was like, it a floral shirt? It, it, it was, it, there were some. There were some floral <laughs> shirts. There's always some floral shirts. For shirt. the listeners, Tim loves the floral shirt. Yeah, love it, mate. Loads of them. Um, yeah, just was not wearing the appropriate clothing. So I just had no concept of it. I mean, I thought I'd try and get into, I think I tried to get in Trezor. Right. Wearing like skinny jeans and then like a red and white check shirt. <laughs> like you've never seen a swifter denial in your life, mate. Never. Was it like a quickly, it's not your night? Yeah, but it, tonight is not possible. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, yeah, fair man, I get that. Did you go, yeah, probably right. I was standing in the queue for two hours going, I'm going to get, I'm not, I'm not getting in here. There's no yeah. way. Anyway, I ended up in this bar at, at some other day in, of, of, of the time we were in Berlin and they were just playing techno in the background. It was much more low level, low key, sitting on this bar on the on the waterfront. I, just, you know, I was just listening to it. I thought this is enjoyable mm. as, as it started. Mm. I had no, you know, no concept of it, but I thought this is enjoyable. So anyway, the weekend went by, I saw Radiohead. Radiohead, Radiohead were fantastic. I got into one club, which was actually not very good. Got home, started like delving into it and it went from there. So... On the, that was in September and then on the 1st of January the next year so only a couple of months later I went to my first like club night in, mm-hmm. in London mm-hmm. at Oval Space great venue was, yeah I think Robert Hood was playing and, great um, DJ and Helena Half, I believe was it Robert Hood doing his alias's floor plan no it was Robert Hood it was Robert Hood yeah. so te- so full techno, techno yeah. right. I, think, I think Helena Half was playing as well amazing DJ please go check her out so, she's brilliant so yeah that was that was my first foray into like a into an wow. actual dance music night out and when you went into whatever club it was because I remember my first clubbing experience and I was eight, it was my 18th birthday mm-hmm. and, I, and all of my friends took me to um, Loop Bar if anyone knows where that is oh, it's yeah. a it's a bar in central London and it's got a disco sort of themed bottom floor and it's quite a cheesy night yeah. out but when I went there I just had so much fun and I loved it and I realised that I think I realised for the first time how clubs can be such a safe space. Oh, definitely. If, if, they're the, if you're if you're in the right club and no, the right no, atmosphere, no. it's such a safe space and it's such a really positive. It can be such a positive environment for mm. your own mental health. And I, I realised that when I went to university and I started clubbing properly and I went to house nights and garage nights and sort of you know doing that thing where you're younger, you want to see all the different night outs you can before you start getting more niche. And I just realised that being in that environment, dancing, expressing myself was just one of the biggest self-care tools I could I could do. Yeah. And that was before I even discovered what self-care actually was. So I think I ended up probably going out more because I felt so 
happy and I felt in such a good space with friends and being in a, in a, cl- in a club environment. Dance, dance music and, and the clubbing experience around dance music completely revitalised my um, interest in, in nightlife. 100%, I agree. Because, yeah. I, you know, I was going to clubs in, before this, I was going to clubs in Leicester Square. Oh, you know, just, just it's just not what you want, is it? Market, yeah. You know, people are yeah. there for two things. Yeah. Um, and, and it was not enjoyable. It, it, it put me completely off going to clubs and I, I just completely lost interest. So I was mm. much happier just going to a pub with some friends and mm. <clears throat> having a sit down and chat and it's great, which is enjoyable in itself. So the first time I went to, went to Oval Space on that New Year's Day in 2017, it's been a, it's been a sea change, mm. you know. It, it, nightlife now is one of those things that I enjoy almost more than anything mm. because it does have a completely different aura around it. It mm. has a completely different feel to it. The clientele, as long as you pick the right night, yeah, right yeah. Night, of course, yeah. You know, you you have to select your nights. Obviously, you'll be mm-hmm. paying money to go. They just want to select your nights properly anyway. But the clientele I just found were friendlier, more welcoming, more mm. laid back, and more energetic. Mm. Everything I think the worst want. thing about a club night and a gig is if you go there and no one's dancing. I, can't I cannot stand it. What's the point? I just, I, I well, don't understand. I no. just really don't. I'll go to a gig sometimes and I go see a really good band and it won't be like a, a quiet band or someone who plays more sort of relaxing music. Yeah, It'll jazz. be someone who plays like disco or someone who plays like, you know, anthemic rock or whatever. And the crowd will just be standing still and oh, I'm good. boogieing and I'm just going, what is going on? What's, what? the, point? Why What's the point? I don't why get why you pay the, pay the money. No. But that's just me. Um, when you were in Oval Space, mate, what what was what were the sensations that were going through you? You know, your your mind when when you were dancing in that in that environment. You know, were you feeling like, wow, this is a place where I belong, or was it more like you were with your friends and you were all kind of sharing in that experience of music and, and enjoyment? Or what what were the, what were the experiences that went through you? It took a, it took a moment to get into it. it. Took a while to get into mm. it, into into the feel of it because it was something that up to that point was was completely alien to me. You know. And this is quite a late age to be getting into dance music, I, I, I think. Um, I was probably, I was 24, which is... Which so for the record, you are... 26 now. 26 now. So okay. it was it was relatively late. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first got in there, obviously it was sort of, it was just, it was interesting. It was just interesting to be in there mm-hmm. and listen to the music and, and see the crowd and see the, the people that were there. But as, you know, time wore on through the night and, you know, a few more drinks... You, you know, loosen up, and you sort of just slip into it. You fall into the into the groove. Mm. You know, I think that brings us on nicely to the next topic, which is mental health. Because the first question I wanted to ask you about that is, what effect does dancing have on your mental health? It's. I think I could. I sort of see dancing and the effect it has on me as well. It's extremely cathartic, especially when you get to a point where you go to a. A night and you can just dance however you want mm. you know it's the purest form of self-expression for me isn't it really yeah, you, yeah. you're probably not wrong it is a a very cathartic event mm. you know a night spent on the dance floor just throwing shapes that should be criminal <laughs> should really be criminal <laughs> but I think that's going to be the top line that we take from this pod <laughs> is that Throwing shapes should be criminal, Tim shape, Fletcher. Some of the shapes yeah. I throw, mate. Yeah. I can, and I can attest to that, by the way, because I've seen you on the yeah, dance floor. the looks. But then you think, but then no one cares, really, do they? No, that, no, 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 if you're in the right club, no one if cares. If you're in the right yeah, club, no exactly. one cares. Yeah, mate, any club I'm in is the right club. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, people don't, people don't care and people, people are involved in their own experience of the night, mm. which is nice. Mm. It's a very... Dan- da- like dancing at, at a club is uh, at, at once sort of this group effect, you know, mm-hmm. everyone around you and sort of feeling off the energy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's it's quite solitary because everyone's yeah. doing their own thing. One hundred percent. I mean, you know, you, you, you're doing your own whatever floats your boat, mm. and that's nice mm. because you don't. There's, there's, you're not showing off to anyone. You're just having a good time. Exactly. You're doing it just for you. Mm. How would you say your mental health is in the moment? Relatively good. Okay. Relatively good. You know, I had a bit of a, like a bit of a downturn sort of the end of last year. Mm. What would you, what would you, would you attribute that to if you could? It was, uh, you know, a number of things. I think 
I, I think I was probably going just through a naturally occurring depressive state anyway. I think we all go through that. Yeah, yeah. like seasonal affective disorder, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. Has yeah. particularly happened. It was exacerbated by a couple of life events. Okay. Um, you know, grief, mm. uh, loss, stress, mm. and my inability to deal with those, frankly. My inability to to open up about how I was feeling until it all got too much and there was like a breaking point. I don't think it was a breakdown, but it was a, there was a breaking point. Yeah. And to dive deeper, was it grief or loss of a, of a, of a friend or a loved one? It was uh, a family member. So my my, family member. Okay. My my grandmother died. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what happened. Uh, That, that sort of was the beginning of, of the breaking point. Okay. I think I was probably depressed anyway. Yeah. And it was sort of maybe um, not, not, not the end point, but certainly the trigger that maybe yeah, made you feel was, a bit worse. That was where the yeah. snowball formed. What grief is such a personal emotion, mm. and I think d- through vent and through the memory box feature that I have, I've all I think I've almost found more stigma attached to grief than I have to mental health in regards to people talking about it for different different reasons. What what would you say is the is the main reason why? apart from the obvious mm. about because grief is a very personal emotion. What would you say the main reason is, is why <coughs> grief perhaps is, is even more of a delicate subject than mental health? I think it's because, you know, I think someone who is grieving is, is fragile anyway. Mm-hmm. They're going through a fragile time and there are different levels of grief. Grief again, well, grief also is, is associated. Maybe I can't speak for everyone, but for me, and I know it is associated with other people. It, it's associated with guilt. Mm. In you what know, in what sense? You, I think people naturally feel guilty about things they haven't maybe said to the person who's died, mm-hmm. things they have said to the person who's died, uh, things they would have done differently, behaved differently. Are they grieving enough? Mm. I, I felt that a lot. Am so I, rumination well, over it as well. Yeah, am yeah. I grieving enough? Am, am as, I, in, as in to yeah. an appropriate level? Yeah, yeah. why am I not crying? Yeah. Am I, am I why, why am I not sadder than I am? Mm. And, and I think uh, that's natural, to be fair. I think we absolutely. all go through that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, so you search for explanations of these things. And if you're sort of already in a depressive state, you, 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 it's possible that you end up thinking that the reason for you not grieving enough is that there's something wrong with you, where the reality of the situation is the prob- there's probably not. And it's probably distorting your idea of yeah. how you're processing it in absolutely. the first place. Yeah. You know, because depression isn't just a, well, I mean, it can be, but it's often not just a, a sadness. Mm. It's a, it's a, numbing it's a neutering of your and things we're it's important to stress that as well it's not it's not just feeling sad because i think we all feel sad you know apathy at times Mm. i think depression is is a disease rather than anything more than anything as well it's a it's something that needs you need to address it's something you can get over but it's something you've got to recognize first Mm. something you've got to be aware of and how did you process that grief if you could say (coughs) In, in what ways did you try and kind of take yourself out of either the depressive state you're in or did you try and compartmentalise it? And no, I definitely tried to compartmentalise yeah. it. Certainly tried to not, I didn't try to repress it, but that's what ended up happening. Mm. Ended up becoming this repression of it and like, okay, we'll deal with that at some other point. I had some other bits going on at the time as well. So, you know, stuff that maybe... Juggling a lot of things, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, other personal stresses and things like that. And I, I, I didn't address really any of the the stresses in my life until I had to <coughs> until I had to um until they got too much so they, they they came to the they came to the surface and I had this little this little break this mm. little so you waited till they all got to like 10 out of 10 mm. I need to deal with this now rather than these are all a three and a four and if I deal with them now I can maybe yeah. bring them down to a healthy level okay well, yeah when I started feeling the way I did I should that's when I should have started speaking but I didn't I I tried to um, just deal with it internally. We all get there at a different time, mate, as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we all get there at a different time. That's been a um, Could you describe to, for, you know, for all the listeners, I, I, we've got a really good relationship and we've, we've spoken a lot very openly to each other about our mental health. But, but for the listeners, could, if you could say, what mental health issues do you live with and how do they affect you in your sort of day-to-day life? Um, I, if, and if you do live with any. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, Honestly, we all do, but if you know, I won't. I won't generalise. I'll talk about me. Um, I, I am prone to, to depressive states. Mm-hmm. 
um, and, and bouts of depression. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing that I would consider to be extremely bad. Some are worse than others. Some okay, of course. Yeah, of course. Some, and it's best that we always, it's, it's, it's never good for us as well because we obviously live with mental health issues. People always compare each other's mental course, health yeah. and we always get that inclination to say, oh, well, I'm struggling a bit, but there's someone out there that's worse. Yeah. And it's really important for us, I think, to say, well, our our struggle is our struggle and we need to get through that as best we can. Mm. And helping each other do that is the best way we can no, do right. it. It's yeah. not to sort of invalidate your feelings mm-hmm. by um, relating yourself to someone else. Yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm quite prone to like, depressive states and sort of more recently, maybe in the last six months to a year, more prone to like, being anxious and maybe I'll, yeah okay anxiety what I'll, triggers do you do you feel like that that does or I that what are caused by your anxiety I, I don't know what what causes the anxiety i don't know right what, um what brings it on sometimes you just wake up with it and sometimes it will just rear really okay and it's it's very very difficult to, to nail down in that it's 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 a very abstract sort of feeling there's just this unsettled nervousness it's that's like, really it's interesting like a fear without a, without a target mm. you know See, my anxiety is very much linked to specific triggers. Really? Yeah, so that's really interesting to hear your experience of that because my anxiety, and I've had anxiety since I was seven. Mm. So my anxiety is linked to, say I make a mistake. Say you text me and say, Fred, I can't believe what you did last night. You said that mm-hmm. awful thing to that person. I go, my heart, you know, your heart sinks yeah. and it goes out your butt. <laughs> and you're just sitting there, you're going, Jesus Christ, what have I done? And you start to, I start to get panicky. Yeah, yeah. And then if I, if I don't have mental tools to control it or counteract it, then I'll start getting adrenaline. I'll start sweating a bit. I'll speak, I'll start speaking really fast. Different things like that happen. And that'll be when an anxiety attack fully kind of um, happens to me. And other things could be, say I make a mistake at work. Yeah. Say my boss says to me, you know, uh, he'll, he'll send me an email and it will say, please, can you correct this? I've just seen that you've done this, et cetera, et cetera. And you go, I go, Jesus, oh God, what have I done? <laughs> and I immediately start to go, right, I need to correct this straight away. I'll apologize in the email, I'll send it straight away, yeah. you know, all this sort of stuff. So it's little things like that. And I think it's mistakes that really affect me. And also I think that it affects me in my personal life. If when I, if I wrong someone, normally accidentally, um, or I say something to someone that I don't mean, and I'll immediately go, Jesus, I've really, really offended that person I didn't mean to. I've just said something really stupid and on PC or whatever that I didn't realise at the time. And that really affects me as well. So I think it's really interesting to compare, you know, anxiety experiences yeah. because I always used to think that anxiety was very much like a one-way street. You'd only It would only affect you in certain ways. But to hear your experience is really interesting and to hear how it's, with your anxiety, it's not really linked to specific triggers. No, it's, it's more like it's, a bout or a feeling that you have and you go through that and you could wake up with it. Yeah, certainly. Mm. It, is, it is like that. It is, it is something that will just come on at times. There, there are things that I think exacerbate or make it maybe more more likely that it will hit me. Uh, the, the main one really is like after a heavy night. The, not, the, not, the hangover anxiety. Yeah, not, yeah. Not, not because of any, not because, you know, as you said, you know, oh, you did this last night, I can't believe that. None, none of that. Mm. I mean, that's obviously a rumination anyway, people mm. get that. But I think it is just the physiological effect of being hungover makes really? me okay. really, really restless, really anxious, really uncomfortable, irritable, mm. quiet. Mm. I can feel it. I can feel this, this heart rate like coming up when I'm hungover, mm. it's like genuine palpitations and it's mm. awful. Very hard to even function. Like you get the two-day hangovers now as well. I I don't even feel the effects of the hangover. Obviously, the next day I have the effects of the hangover. But then, like, it'll be two or three days later where I won't even have you know the the grogginess or the headache or the you know the dodgy stomach. Yeah, I'll just have the the fear. The, the fear. You know they call it the fear. Yeah, the fear. No, the fear is the worst. I hate the fear. It's and, awful. And that's that's it. And that sticks around. Right. That's like a you know that 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 persists beyond the rest of the effects, the physical effects of the hangover. So the mental effects is almost yeah. double or even triple it's, it's or quadruple worse. the effects of the physical effects. It gets worse as wow. I get older. I don't know if that's because I'm drinking more. I mean, I've actually kicked the booze for a couple of weeks now, which is just because of the anxiety. Mm. That was it. And I was probably drinking too much anyway, but, and it, it's very different. And I think that's probably um, sort of contributed quite heavily to the uptick in my mental health. Well, that's good then. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, a good thing. That's a good, good thing, thing. And, definitely. Know, it goes back to this whole self-care thing. Mm. This is all the self-care we're talking about, and which I think people are more aware of now anyway, is that you've got to identify these these triggers and these um, exacerbating uh, contributors that, that, that make your 
mental health worse. And exactly. You've got to cut those out. You've mm. got to address them. And that's what I'm trying to do. And that's a process. And that's admirable, mate, to be fair. That's Thank very you. admirable. So you're you're <laughs> yeah, doing, because I think for us, it's, I didn't self, selfish, yeah. I'm only doing it for me. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think self-care shouldn't be used as a selfish thing almost. Like yeah, I used to, too. I used to view it as that sometimes. And I used to think, I used to be in a really, there was a period where I was going through a really bad um, period of depression and it would be attacking me a bit more mm-hmm. v- violently and vehemently than it was previously. And I'd go, oh, I'll do some self-care by writing some articles, like yeah. helping pe- other people. And I'd be overworking myself to the point where I'd be going, I'm just, all my free time's taken up by then. Yeah, and I was just going to, I was just burning out. Yeah. yeah, I was burning out. So the first tr- time I tried to change it was when I said, okay, so th- I'm going to do some self-care now and I'm going to not edit or publish any articles for a week. And I'm just going to see how that goes. And having those free evenings, I mean, I still have to make sure that my mind is distracted most of the time because I think being alone in my own thoughts is it's just not a good thing for me. I'm very extroverted. I don't like being just festering and just doing nothing. No. I have to be watching something. I have to be doing something. But noticed. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> um, but for me, that was the big thing to just take some time out, you know, to deprogram, deprogram myself almost. So I think we all have to find those self-care mechanisms. And I think we all have to get to that stage where we go, right, self-care is a good thing. It's going to help me in the long run. It's not, I'm not selfish for doing it. I'm going to be a more, you know, I'm not a better person, but I'm going to be a more enjoyable person to be around if I'm yeah. doing some self-care and I'm in a better state. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm in the same vein as you in that I, I do, I, I mean, self-care is, is quite a recent thing for me. I mean, in terms of mental self. Yeah, same, exactly. It's yeah. a very recent thing for me because I, I, I do I do just actively enjoy helping other people. I know that sounds very... We're, em- we're altruistic empaths I, is the way to say is it. Is that mate. it? Yeah, that I think it is. Fucking wanky. <laughs> That sounds awful. <laughs> For the um, listeners, you can be an altruistic empath if you want. Yeah, you can. You can be, just don't tell anyone you are. Because um, I've saw surely that's like self-defeating, isn't it? If you, tell, if you say, I'm, a, I'm an altruistic empath, surely at that point you're not. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. Yeah, yeah that's the point. So if you're self, so, yeah, yeah, I get you. But we can be altruistic. We can be. Yeah. Um, and anyway, yeah, so, I, you know, it, it just, that does bring me joy. And I do enjoy it. And I, I hope I have a reputation for doing that because I have tried to earn myself a reputation of being that sort of person. However, when you go on this sort of self-care journey, mm. you um, you have to cut back on that. Mm. Mm. And then maybe you think, oh, am I, being, am I being a decent person? Am I being the person I want to be? But if you, if the, the, then the, the remedy to that and the, the way I think about it is that if you're not looking after yourself, you're going to be in no fit state to help anyone. Mm. If exactly. If, you, if you're just useless because you've just abused yourself, or you're not setting time away from yourself, mm. I think I'm. I think it lets me help people more efficiently if I'm feeling better. Right. I think that's probably the best way to move on to yeah. send segue into the next topic, which yeah. is a way of I'm sure is a way of self care for you, but also a way of helping others is writing. Yeah. Yeah. What first prompted you to want to write for Vent? By the way, I'm really happy that you write. You write Thanks, for Vent. Man. Cheers. I'm happy to do it. Other platforms are available, but not as good. <laughs> Again, your words, not mine. Um, uh, I, I've sort of written on and off generally for a long time. When I say on and off, I mean on for a few years, then off for a few years, since I was about 15 or 16. Do you mean like writing as in like on a di- in a diary or like journals anything, or yeah, anything? Yeah. Okay. Writing a diary, writing poetry. Poetry has always sort of been my my bag, you know. Your niche. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Um yeah, that's always been the main the main thing that I've written and enjoyed writing and the thing I found best to express myself via. But um, in terms of writing for Vent, um, I sort of had to, I, I just wanted to start getting my writing out there in, in, mm-hmm. a, in a public space. Mm-hmm. And it sort of fit with the topics I was writing about at the time when I was sort of trying to process my own mental health mm. through poetry. Was it cathartic as well? It was, it was cathartic. It, it, you know, writing is, it is cathartic once it's done. Mm. It's very, um, it, it's, it's very motion driven, isn't it? it yeah, it, it is, it is, but it's, it's, writing has this, has this, um, image of being this very organic outpouring, you know, you sit down at a desk and you take a pencil and your paper and you just pour onto this sheet mm. and it's not, it's, it's a slog. 
Mm. It really is. And uh, I've definitely found that as well in some of the articles yeah, I've wrote. It, and it, I've had it, to like build up energy seems, to sit down and write and then go, oh, and then I've got to come back and then build up more energy to come back and write seems, another it, bit. It, yeah. it, seems, it seems ubiquitous in any, with any sort of writing and anyone I've spoken to about writing. So you write articles and I'm, I'm sure other things. I like writing poetry. I've got friends who write essays and prose and plays mm. and sketches. Mm. And at one point or another, everyone has described writing as a fucking slog. It's not this. It's not this easy thing that happens. I mean, it can be beautiful it and amazing. Be. Yeah, it can, it can be for all the writers out there. Yeah, well, I mean, don't let it put you off. I mean, that absolutely not because the the end product is is worth it, and and the feeling of accomplishment once you've done it makes the whole thing worth it. Mm. But more often than not, you do obviously you do get bouts of inspiration. You know, I have sat down and written a poem in in ten fifteen minutes flat, and I've actually liked it. But more often than not, writing is a process, and it is hard work. You know, and it's something you have got to stick with and come back to and take a break from and, um, you know, revisit. And, you know, you could sit down, you know, I've sat down before, pen, pencil in hand, for for hours and just come up with nothing. Mm. And you're like, I've just lost. full writer's block, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes, like a lot of the time it will happen where I've got the topic or I can't find the, and I can't find the words. Or sometimes I've got these really lovely phrases that I want to get down on paper, but I can't find a way to make them relevant. Mm. <laughs> I haven't got a topic for them. Does it make you um, doubt yourself at all? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. It happened yesterday. You know, I, I sat down at home and I was like, okay, pencil, paper, let's get some writing done. Let's get something done. Um, couldn't do anything. Make something to eat, cup of tea, watch some TV, do a bit of reading. Sometimes I read poetry to sort of get myself going. Tried again, nothing. Thought, okay, I'll take the dog out. Um, around the park, sit down at the park, park bench. Sometimes do a bit of writing there. Nothing. I didn't write a thing all of yesterday. And when you do scribbles like that, do you do it almost like when rappers write like those scribbles on, on a sheet and it's like loads of words about and... Yeah. Or how do you sort of plan it, it, it as well? Like, it is like that. And it's in a notebook. But yeah. Um, yeah, that's how it sort of... That's how they all sort of begin. Um, they all, you know, if I look back at my, my notebooks and... And look back at the vestigial, uh, not the vestigial, the um, the rudimentary stages of of poems that I've written for Vent or for other people or for mm -hmm. other platforms. <clears throat> you can see the process occurring on on the page, but it's very it, it it can be very very hard to get those words out. And sometimes you just have to just start writing whatever comes into your head, like just literal nonsense almost, mm. just stream of consciousness writing. And some sometimes something will come out of that that. Not with chaos, I guess. That, that. So you've got no set writing process, so to speak. So you don't no. go, right, I'm going to think of the theme first and then write everything afterwards. Or I'm going to think of, you know, a verse first and then write the theme afterwards. It's it's no. very organic. It's very yeah, fluid. It happens okay. it happens. You know, the artistic process is, is, obviously it's different for every person. And if I could distill the artistic process down into, into that, into a process, I'd be golden. Mm. But it's not like that in reality. No, it's not. Sure it's really not. Is, but for me, it's you've not. also um, you've also performed at spoken word nights as yes. well. And I remember you you. I'm so gutted. I can I haven't been able to make it to the last few you've done, mate. Um, you've you've started doing them recently. Is yeah, that correct. Yeah, sort of. I think the first one I did was November. Okay, so November 2018. Yeah, so yeah, four or five months ago. Probably. What was the first one like that you did? How and first of all, how did you? You know, how did you end up getting into it? Did you contact a venue? Did you see a night, like an open mic night or whatever? Just talk about a bit more about the story that kind of evolved from it. I am um, obviously like I've always had, as I said, an interest in poetry and it sort of stemmed from that in, I was sort of always aware of spoken word as an art form. And mm -hmm. I just started look, like watching some of it on YouTube. Any particular spoken word artists like in particular? There's, there's two like main ones. Um, that I used to watch. They're like quite famous, as famous as a spoken word artist can be. Uh, there's one guy called um, Neil Hillborn. He's an American man. Find him on YouTube. And there's a guy called Shane Kozan. I think his name is. Okay. I can't pronounce his surname. To my to my um, embarrassment. But they're 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 quite they're two quite famous ones. Where you think you know, I, I quite enjoy them. But I just I just sort of looked into that. Those are the two main um, avenues into spoken word, and I sort of got into that and started looking at it and thought, oh, I'll give it a go. Mm. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. I just thought it'd be exciting, which it is. <clears throat> I've got a lot of friends who um, are involved in theatre. Mm -hmm. um, who are on stage a lot of the time. And uh, it was something I sort of, I got 
complete respect for and complete admiration for because it's something I always said that I could never do this. I can never get up on stage and in any capacity. I, mean, I used to do it and it's, and it's scary, before. but it's exhilarating at the same time. I'm sure yeah. it is. And so I've got the utmost respect and admiration for my friends to do this and for everyone who does it. And it's just something I maybe wanted a taste of. I don't think I could commit to doing a whole play just because of my work schedule mainly. Um, but I sort of wanted to just do it. Just, just to get out there and do it and have a go at it. So, so I, sort of take yourself out of your comfort zone? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I wrote a, a, a spoken word bit, which is, you know, three, four minutes long, however, however long it was. And I performed it at the Poetry Cafe, which is which is the headquarters of the Poetry Society in Covent Garden. They do an open mic poetry night every Tuesday, every week, every Tuesday they do it. And anyone can apply? Anyone, anyone could do it. Uh you can read whatever you want. You do like you can read poems that you've written. You can do a spoken word piece. You get, they give you four or five minutes, depending on how many people are, there are, and you can read whatever you want. So I, I wrote a bit for that because I thought, well, it's you know somewhere I'm definitely gonna be able to perform because I'll let anyone perform. And so I did that in November for the first time. What was that like? I was bricking it, <laughs> bricking it, mate. Honestly, I had a few friends. Were you like me before the vent, the first vent gig, uh, just sweating buckets? Probably. probably. I was outside, yeah. like just. Chinning bottles and smoking. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't think I've ever heard chinning was used to before drinking bottles of beer. Um, of all the phrases that I've heard, yeah. necking, downing, chinning. Chinning, mate. Wow. I've um, got an image in my head of you literally smashing your chin against a bottle no, of no. beer now. And I was like, oh God, I'm so scared. And I, I was there and some of my friends came, uh, friends who, who, uh, who, who are actors and writers and directors and used to being on stage. I just thought this has confirmed that I couldn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I say I say that you know I don't know if that's true, but I was thinking like, what, what? I said to one of my mates who was there, um, I was like, how do you do this for a living? Like, how do you, I mean, yeah, he does a lot of writing and directing, and you know, like some. What was the endorphin rush like when you finished it? Excellent! It's so amazing. Isn't it was it? great. You live off it for about four, four days. It was four minutes. These guys do plays and they're on stage for a couple of hours, and I'm like, like every night as well. Yeah, they do it a lot, you know. They do, they do it a lot, but mm. um, I just thought, I, yeah, I just did, I did it. You know, it's in this room. There's maybe I don't know how many people there were fifty, fifty people, um, and it went down really well. I like I, think, like I, think I told you, you said it would. It, mate. it yeah. went down really, really well. I got a lot of compliments from my friends um, and from strangers, and I thought, yeah, this is this is quite good fun. <laughs> so what, it, it, yeah, you know, like spoken word is more just not not just for fun, but just because of the art form that it is, it does give you a little bit more creativity or creative freedom. I think mm. than poetry might. Do you be. feel like you grew as a person from it? No. No, wow, that's, really? that was not the answer I was expecting. Not really. <laughs> I don't know, I don't, that's what you mean. I, I guess in some ways... It, in it, that, did it, it make you perhaps more confident to do it again? Did more it, confident to do it again, Okay, certainly. It doesn't make me any more confident in in like day-to-day life. Yeah, sure. It hasn't. I was, no, I was thinking about this, like, why is that the case? Why do I still feel quite anxious if I'm in like a group situation, even with like my very closest friends? Mm. Why do I feel a bit odd and a bit anxious and a bit uncomfortable have you locked that down to anything no no, not yet but I mean it's a process ongoing but I think the reason that spoken word didn't help with that is because I know what I'm going to say right you know on stage whoever it is on stage and it is is sort of daunting standing in front of a crowd but I I know what I'm going to say whereas in like a conversation with like even now if I think about oh god so life is unscripted oh god I've just become aware (laughs) of what we're doing Um, uh, you you often don't know what what you're going to say next what the right thing to say would be and that's actually something I've mm. sort of explored in some of my spoken word bits is that life is improvised yeah people are improvising they're doing it really well and I yeah. don't know what to say how are you doing this how have you got the energy mm. wow but, that's really interesting yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's a great it's really interesting to hear how you said because I was expecting a very different answer yeah. to that question I was expecting you to go yeah it's really helped me with my confidence and you used to go no <laughs> sort of threw me a little bit yeah, there it's very <laughs> it, it, confident to do it again I, and it's something I do enjoy and something I will keep doing. Um, and have you done it again since for the listeners? Yes, I've done one more in February and I'm actually doing, I'm doing it, what, it's Friday today, I'm doing a thing on Tuesday. What's, could you tell us about, a bit about the that thing you're doing is, on Tuesday? Um, an event. Called, the event is called What's Going On In Your Head. Right. And tell us a bit more about that. That is, uh, it, it, it's, it's quite a new venture and it's an event that's, it's, it uses 
performance pieces to facilitate conversations around mental health. Sort of similar to what Vent does in very, a way. Very similar, very similar. <laughs> Thought I'd get that plug in. Yeah, do, please do. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a new thing. It's, in, it's taking place in Covent Garden. Okay. Um, sold out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just just to plug that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sold out. Uh, um, well, actually, tickets are free, so I guess you say fully booked. It's haven't sold any because it's free. Um, yeah, so, you know. And is it just you or is it how many other people are there? There, there are four or three other performers. So I'm doing two spoken word bits on the night, which are two bits I've performed before. Mm. Uh, there is a woman who's doing a monologue that she's written, which is adapted from a okay. blog. There's a gentleman doing uh, a song or two that he's written and he's got like a backing choir, which is- A choir? Yeah, do some rehearsals. Well, like, so. like a 10 like piece, like got like a gospel choir? Like 20, mate, like 20 people. Wow. And they do like, they do like vocalizations in the background. It's sick. Um, I just like, yeah, it just sounds lovely. Um, and there's a guy who I actually haven't met yet who's doing, I think he's doing spoken word as well. Mm-hmm. So like we'll do a bit, we'll do our, our, our bit and then we'll sit down on this panel, we'll have a chat about the topics raised in that piece and about our own general mental health. And then someone else do a bit and we'll use that as a, as a, to facilitate the conversation. Mm. And what sort of scale event is it? Is it sort of 70 people? Is it hundred people? Yeah, it's about, I think it's about 120. Wow. Yeah. In this, in this club. In When you found that out, what did, were you sort of excited or were you like, oh my God, there's going to be 120 people in the room um, listening to what I've got to say? Both, like okay. sort of excitement. And I think that's the best way, the best way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Certainly. And it does help that the piece I'm doing a bit that I've done before and I've had like massive positive feedback from those bits mm. from from friends, from strangers and from, from the people that I'm doing this event with. So that's helped. Um, and now I'm just like looking forward to it. We had a rehearsal when it went, it, that, the rehearsal went well. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited now. Mm. And it is daunting, but it, that is that, that risk is the is the exciting. I think the most important question is: Will you be wearing your vent t shirt? Uh, you have to answer this correctly, uh, to, uh, correctly or honestly, uh, both. If it's, I'll literally put you in a spot there. I we can get it through the washing time. Oh, that'll do. That'll do <laughs> for an answer. Um, yes, yeah, I think the last topic we've got, and yes. it's one that. I feel gets a lot of media hype, but lot gets a lot of attention that maybe distorts the conversation. Yeah, is this phrase toxic masculinity? Yeah, it's such an all-encompassing phrase, and I do use it sometimes to relate to certain things. But I also think sometimes it's a bit overused. Yeah, what what does it mean to you, Tim? I think we've got to define for for, for the conversation's sake because you can almost you can almost hear people turning the podcast off. You can. You can almost hear it. I feel like there's people going literally with the volume yeah, and just turning it down yeah, right now. And that's quite understandable because it gets it gets bandied about by people who don't. Please don't, it. by the way, continue Please listening. Because <laughs> the, the, the phrase gets gets bandied about by people who, who don't know what it is and, and believe it's some attack on masculinity and men, which absolutely is not. It's important to define what it is and what it isn't. Toxic masculinity, to me, is a set of traits that have hitherto been thought of as typically masculine traits, but in reality cause damage to not just men, but everyone. I completely agree. Yeah. What, what, let's give some examples then. So we could file under toxic, toxic masculinity, ideas of hyperaggression, mm-hmm. uh, not showing emotion, mm-hmm. uh, sexual aggression, mm-hmm. um, Having to I think be, violence and abuse as well is things important abuse, to say as yeah. well. Yeah, the ones that really stick for me are, or the ones that I've I think I've suffered from. To use that as a as as, as a term, mm-hmm. the idea of, of men not being um, emotional creatures, mm. or, or, or not being able to express their emotions, man up, so man to up. speak. Yeah, the, yeah, the whole thing, the, the whole, whole man up horrible stuff. phrase that I've heard a lot of times in my really? life. I, yeah, I, I can't even imagine what that's like. The idea that men have to, or should do, um, contain their emotions, unless of course that emotion is anger, in which case, yep. fill your boots. Anger or braggadocio, yeah. or emotions associated with braggadocio. Yeah. So, um, you know, hyper-sexualized masculinity, yeah. in essence. Yeah. And I think, I completely agree with you, and I think for me it represents, toxic masculinity is an idea of masculinity that presents a certain set of beliefs or ideals. Mm-hmm. So um, 
say for example you like a certain thing that's not traditionally accepted with being manly yeah <laughs> or liking a s- poetry yeah well there we go or liking a certain genre of music that's not accepted with being manly disco which i love and i've gotten several criticisms from people for saying why do you like disco you're a man hmm. and i'm like well if you don't if you like dance music you should like disco <laughs> let's be serious <laughs> Um, but things like that, you know, yeah. if you like a certain band, they go, why'd you like that band for? Yeah. And it's not, and the person couldn't, might not be being deliberately mm-hmm. provocative or being deliberately offensive, but it's their subconscious way of saying, well, why do you like that? You're, you're presenting yourself as a certain way. Why do you like something that goes away from what yeah, being a man like might? That, yeah. That, that cookie cutter you know, outline I've put you into. Yeah. Why, why does it stray outside that? That's uncomfortable. And if you and if you do stray outside of that, you get bantered, or you yeah. get picked on, or you get uh, marginalised. Mm. Um, and I think that's been the case, well, as long as I can remember in school. Like it can even seep into uh, things like sport. Yeah. Like if you don't follow a certain football team <laughs> or whatever. That's what town. Exactly. <laughs> the, the greatest football team in the world. Um, <laughs> If you don't support a certain football team or you don't wear a certain brand of clothing yeah. or you don't like a certain, like what we've spoken about, you don't like a certain genre of music and people will go, well, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what being a man is I think, supposed to present I, I, ourselves I think, as. I think it's an extension of, I think it's that sort of ballpark, yeah, in that, you know, there, there are expectations of people outside, obviously outside of their gender, but, you know, things like their, um, their upbringing, their social class, where, where they are from in the country, their age that they should be into these sorts of things and, and masculine and sexuality sexuality as well yeah we should say yeah yeah but you know tox, uh, toxic masculinity is extremely harmful mm. it's I, I think it is a huge contributing factor to the alarming rates of male suicide mm. i think it is in one way or another um responsible for almost all you know, some of those will be from from deep seated mental health issues, of course, and mental illnesses. But mm. I think a lot of it is exacerbated by men feeling unable to speak to, about just to, to speak yeah. about their. And it could be they're going through a divorce. It could be um, they're addicted. To, they've got addiction issues. Yeah. But toxic masculinity is what stops them speaking out, yeah. and it stops them um, being able to express themselves about it. Yeah. And that's certainly what I experienced. Just with it. Yeah, because you know when I was in school and. I was being bullied and I didn't have anyone to turn to. I felt like if I ever confided in someone about how I was feeling, they go, what are you, what are you feeling like that for? Yeah. That's not, that's, they'd obviously say things which I can't repeat on this podcast, but they'd say, you'd say it's a quote. But yeah. I mean, they'd say, they'd ridicule me for feeling that yeah. way. Or they'd say the world doesn't revolve around you. Like this is not this, like, why are you being selfish for? You're just, you're just attention seeking. Mm. So I don't think, I completely agree with you that it's responsible for a lot of the problems. I don't think it's the sole cause, um, but I think it's that overriding culture that has prevented men from being comfortable and feeling safe to say how they feel. Yeah. And even... And boys, I should say. Even just outside of saying how you feel, it's just if you've got something else going on that isn't maybe even even emotional, maybe you've just got like something difficult in your life that you've got a challenge, you know, it might be... um, you know, trouble at work, it might be mm. financial problems, it might be uh, an illness. And men have this, a lot of men have, have this idea that they've got to just deal with that by themselves. One of my friends used it about his own- Stiff upper lip yeah, syndrome, isn't it? He, yeah. One of my friends used this phrase when he's talking about his dad. They just white knuckle it. They just white knuckle it, just hold on. Sounds so aggressive. Just white knuckle it, just, I just hold on, grip it and, t- and, and hold it and squeeze it and, and don't ever let it out. That's such a problematic phrase. Just, just white knuckle. I, th- I, I think, no, but no, this is what he was saying. This is what he came across as his dad was doing. Oh, I see. I thought that's what his dad was saying. No, no, oh, okay. No, no. no I apologise. It's, it's, it's perfect. It's it's that his, he said that dad's just white knuckling it. Mm. It's a perfect phrase because mm. it is that. It's that that tense, don't let up, don't show any softness or, or, or vulnerability or let anything out. It's just you internalise the whole thing because as a man, you've got to deal with it. Mm. Do you think it's a failure of society? Do you think it's a failure? Because I feel like our generation is is tackling it. Yeah. Do you think it's a 
and I'm not saying this is, this is, by the way, do you think it's a failure of our parents? Do you think it's a failure, oh. as in our parents, not both our parents, I no, should no, also course, say that. Um, um, do you think it's a failure of our parents' generation? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a failure of society in general? Do you think, you know, the media have perpetuated certain myths around men? Because I, I remember seeing, and, I, and it still happens now, you know, I read in, in, a, in a certain right-wing newspaper, mm-hmm. someone will, a man will show emotion on a TV show and they'll say, they'll make some article, they'll put some headlines saying like, cry baby or something yeah. stupid like that. Something infantilizing. Yeah, infantilizing as well and and um emasculating. Yeah, completely. Um I think it do, is. do you think is do you think it's a it's a, it can be traced to one single issue or do you think it's just a very broad um set of causes that we need to address I think individually? It, I think it's entirely societal. Mm. I don't think it's fair to blame parents, you know, I mean or anyone's parents because you know you can prove that for the fact that I've I've um come off a bit worse for wear because of ideas of toxic masculinity but my parents have always been quite open about mm. talking about how you feel and they've always been encouraging of that and they would always listen to me if I felt sad or upset or depressed or, or whatever it would be they'd, they'd listen to me extremely supportive but I've still suffered from that because it's societal because you still go to school you know you still go to work and you and you are affected by other people's idea of, of what it is to be a man and you soak it up and, and you want to fit in and you you pick up this this stoic attitude towards stress and towards you know emotional turmoil. What do you think we can do as men and society? It's a very broad question, by the way. As as a society, to actually break down toxic masculinity and how it manifests itself. Do you think that the best way we can tackle it now is to maybe teach the younger generation so they never have to encounter that? Or do you think there's ways we can break down break it down? in our generation who who still experience it. Yeah, I think you've got to lead by example. Mm. I think that's what, although I mean, I don't know if that is actually the correct method, but that's the one I'm using, um, is that, you know, I do now talk openly about my mental health. Well, mm. I, I didn't in the past. And I'll talk about it to anyone I listen pretty much. Mm. Uh, I talk about it in like, my friend circle. And I, I'm lucky in the sense that I feel like I've got friends who will be receptive to that, thankfully that I can <clears throat> just talk about my, men- my, my mental health, my mental well-being, And I know that I'll get, I'll, I'll be listened to and, and acknowledged and, you know, asked about it. And that's great. In terms of sort of in, in wider society, I, th- I still think the basic method is the same, is, you know, I mean, not to blow too, too much smoke up your ass, but I think things like vent are good in that they do give Thanks, people uh, uh, a platform to to talk about their mental health, to to, to realise that it is normal and it is something we all go through, these emotions and these feelings and these hard times, mm. and that talking about them is not a detrimental thing. In fact, it's almost universally beneficial. Mm. If you had one sort of thing or trend or wish that you'd either want to change or introduce to help not just men as well, but women's mental health. What do you think it would be? Oh God. Um, I, I just think I'd like to, even though I do think we're moving in the right direction, I think I would just like to see a bit more kindness and empathy mm. around the topics of mental health and around the, the the various and almost endless list of mental health issues that a person can have. So I think understanding is the first step to, to rectifying these things. Shouldn't be the last though, should it? It shouldn't be the last. No. no, you know, understanding is is, or even acknowledging maybe maybe acknowledging is the first step. To realize that people can go through this and it doesn't make them weak it doesn't make them attention seekers it doesn't detract from who they are it's just something they're going through at the time and they need understanding and help with that mm. I think for me personally and I completely agree is that the one thing that I would want to change apart from you know reducing waiting times making people sure making sure people can actually be seen and mm. mental health beds should be in hospitals and all that sort of stuff I think from a cultural perspective I think for me the one thing I would want to change immediately as a short-term fix would be people should be open as they want about their mental health. And I will always encourage people from whatever end of the spectrum you are. But what I hate 
And what really gets to me as someone who tries to be kind and tries to help people yeah. is when people use their mental health as an excuse for horrible behaviour. Okay. And don't get me wrong, sometimes it can be a factor. Of course. But what really gets to me is, is people sort of act in a very horrible way for a consistent period mm-hmm. of time and then go, oh, it, that was to do with my mental health. Yeah, because it has that it has that stigmatising effect. Then, yeah, it? It, yeah. It, it damages... There needs to be a more nuanced conversation. That's you right. can't just... You can't just put that out there mm. and then say, oh, it was because of my mental health. Because that does damage the people who are sort of being kind and who have mental health issues and who live with it, yeah. with it with it all the time and are doing their best to be kind people. We need to have a more nuanced conversation yeah. about that. And the sooner that people can open up, but then also improve themselves as a result or yeah. rectify certain behaviours, that's the mo- that's an important thing for me. No, definitely. Because I've, I've yet to meet someone you know, through any of the stuff I've done with Vent or other... Um, mental health organisations I've yet to meet someone that I wouldn't want to be friends with mm. all, they've all been extremely welcoming extremely kind um, people and I think you're right that that, that um, stigmatisation of mental health is doing a lot of damage to a community that doesn't need it mm. well I think that's just about everything we've, we've wanted to cover here, Tim. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, or fortunately, if you didn't enjoy <laughs> this, we've reached the end of the first ever Just Checking In podcast. Um, Tim, I want to say thanks so much, mate, for being my first special guest pleasure, and checking in with me for the past hour and five minutes. Very nice. Um, can we also give a round of applause <laughs> to producer Matt, who has allowed us to record this podcast in his house? And have a general chinwag and a good old chinwag Um, and I also want to thank everyone and all the venters and possible vent champions as well who have listened and made it to the end of this episode Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast please give it a share on all the social media channels tell your friends or your work colleagues about it or even better maybe even write us a review on iTunes thank you for listening and we hope to check in with you again very soon goodbye